0: power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Lord, we, we are just so privileged, so blessed to know you and to be able to sing to you. And we bless you this morning. Watch over our kids now as they go to Grace Kids and to their classes. Speak your word into their hearts. Speak it into our hearts here in this auditorium. We commit the next part of our service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, thank you for helping us worship this morning. Good job. Uh, The preschoolers can head out now uh, to their class. Adults, be careful you don't get trampled at the door. (coughs) And the other kids can wait just for a moment. The rest of you can turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 that's where we've been studying the past uh, few weeks and we'll again this morning and again next week. The rest of the kids can go now to uh, kids to grace kids elementary school age. Have a good time. Acts chapter 16 the rest of you I'm I'm John Fairchild uh, Interim pastor at Grace these days, we are in the process of searching for a, a new lead pastor. takes time. We'll get there by God's help, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, it's my privilege to uh, speak God's word to you this morning. So Acts 16, this is uh, the story of Paul and Silas when they were in uh, a city called Philippi which is in Europe, as we would know it. And uh, they've come to a city where there are no Christians. And when they leave, there's a good, solid little group of Christians. And people have come to Christ as they preach the gospel. And we're just reading about that story uh, uh, over the past few weeks and extracting lessons from it for ourselves, Uh, praying that we would be a a church of people where there's a culture of discipleship and uh, of proclaiming the gospel and of uh, joyfully worshiping God that we'll see this morning, even when times are hard, even when we're in prison, metaphorically or whatever, however that applies to us. So let's uh, begin to read in our passage this morning, and we'll be starting at verse 19. You might remember last week uh, a, a, a girl who was a slave and was indwelt by an evil spirit, was uh, confronting Paul and Silas, and Paul uh, cast the spirit out in the name of Jesus, and it left her, and we'll pick it up in verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, because they were making money off this girl, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You might have heard a story something like this, uh, maybe from years ago. Two two men were talking, how's it going, (coughs) and... uh, one man says, well, I received a, a large inheritance from a, a relative who died. And his friend says, oh, that's really good. And he says, well, not really. Um, uh, it was my father who died. Oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, n- well, not really. I, I used the money to, to buy a really good horse. Oh, that's really good. Well, not really, uh, because my son was riding the horse and And he fell off and broke his leg. Oh, that's bad. Well, no, that was good actually, because uh, a recruiter from the army came by to recruit him, and he couldn't go in the army because his leg was broken. Oh, that's good. The story goes on. (laughs) So let's hear Paul tell his story this morning. (coughs) So how's it going over there in Philippi, Paul? Well, we we spoke the message of Christ to some women at the riverside, and. Some of them immediately became Christians. Oh, that's great. Well, actually, a few days later, the enemy struck back by sending an evil spirit against us in, in a slave girl. Oh, that's bad. Well, no, that's good. The Lord helped us to cast out the evil spirit. Oh, that's great. Well, not really. The, anger, the owners of the girl were really angry, and, uh, and we were beaten and locked up. Oh, man, that's terrible. Well, no, no, God sent an earthquake, and the, and the doors opened and the chains fell off. That's great. Well, uh, we didn't escape, though. We stayed in our cell. Really? Why? Well, the jailer uh, 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 was shaken up by all of this, and he became a Christian. Oh, that's great, and so forth. Paul wrote another letter to another church. This is slide two, Uh, and uh, to the Thessalonians, and he referred to his time in Philippi, and he says this. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of many oppositions. I was intrigued by the phrase there, we were treated outrageously in Philippi. It must have been pretty bad. We just read it. Sometimes the words need to come alive on the page, right? Let's go back and just run through the passage again here, quickly, just to notice a few things. Um, first of all, it's all about money. Uh, the The owners of the slave girl had lost their source of evil income, and uh, <coughs> so they were so angry at Paul and Silas, and they tried to stir everything up. and They made two accusations against Paul and Silas. One was, uh, these men are creating a disturbance. To which I would say, whoa, whoa, who's creating the disturbance? Uh, Paul and Silas, you guys are. You've whipped the marketplace into a frenzy. Uh, there's one lie, and then they said, basically, they're being unpatriotic because they're urging us to practice customs that are most un-Roman. We'll see a little later in the chapter who actually was un-Roman. Uh, 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 Paul and Pil- Silas were, were doing no such thing, but those were the accusations against them. And it's not hard if you're skillful at it, to whip up a crowd into a frenzy. And that's what happened. There was no trial. There was no due process. There was no guilty verdict. It was just mob rule. (coughs) And this itself was very un-Roman and outrageous. Romans were famous for their fair justice system in that time. And then in verse 23, they were flogged and jailed, handed over to the jailer, Uh, Put in maximum security, because it says uh, he was put into the inner cell, and uh, their feet were put in stocks. (laughs) I don't know what that would be like. And then at midnight, while they were in the jail, says simply that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We'll come back to that later. Uh, Did you notice where it said in verse 22, they were beaten, beaten with rods? little background information, to be beaten with rods, translates a Greek word, rabdizo, found only twice in the Bible, as a verb. It means to hit with long, stiff sticks. A strong Roman soldier delivered the whipping, a man trained in how to most intensely inflict pain. The Jews whipped Paul on other occasions, But they would have used a scourge, not a staff. And they also would have limited the punishment to 39 lashes. But not the Romans. History indicates that many men died from these Roman beatings. This was being treated outrageously. It was terrible. And there was no fair trial or anything. These guys were really suffering in that jail. For what crime? No crime at all. Verse 26, there was the earthquake while they were singing and praying. I'm calling it a spooky, a spooky earthquake. Uh, not, not behaving like the, 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 the things that happened as a result of the earthquake were strange. First of all, the doors of the prison were opened. Um, maybe that could be seen to be happening as things get shaken up. But then their chains fell off, and the shaking of the earth wouldn't really have affected these chains, but they mysteriously fell off. I s- assume their feet were released from the stocks. There was another occasion uh, in Acts 12 where Peter was in jail and was chained up, and, there, and, and it says his chains fell off and doors opened for him as well. God's afoot here, and uh, something's going on that, uh, that is uh, strange and not explained naturally. They were free to run, but they didn't. The jailer's response was he thought he should kill himself because if you're the jailer and the, the, those allotted to your charge escape, your life is over. Like that, it was as simple as that. We kill you. Uh, that's how we assure, ensure that you do a good job. They, they somehow knew the jailer was just about to kill himself and they cried out, don't harm yourself. We are all here you know, the jailer probably knew about them. Uh, the, probably the whole town knew by this time. There was this woman who was following them day after day through the marketplace, crying out, creating a confusion. They'd been, they'd been preaching the gospel. Uh, then there was the, probably a very famous incident. If they had newspapers in those days, it would be headlines, the casting out of the evil spirit. Uh, the jailer probably would have known about them. He probably would have known something about their message as well. Uh, and uh, and so he would have heard them praying and sing singing at midnight, and then we know he was asleep for a while, and then there was the earthquake, no ordinary earthquake. and then he sees all the prisoners uh, sitting strangely in their cells, not not escaping like you would assume people would do and he all of this sort of uh, uh, broke in on him the accumulating evidence of strangeness going on here in the Jailer rushed in, fell trembling at their feet and asked, how can I be saved? We'll come back to that a little more also. Basically, he's saying, I've been watching you guys and what you've got, I need. They spoke simply to him about faith in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He took the two evangelists home His home must have either been attached to the jail or right next door. Obviously, it wasn't far. And they spoke the gospel to his whole family. I assume at his insistence, like, talk to my family. Tell them what you just told me. And his whole family got saved. I mean, talk about God turning something bad into something good. This is amazing. This persecution didn't stop the gospel. It accelerated it. And the church might have doubled in size that night. Um, It's interesting to think about. So some lessons for us to think about and apply. The first lesson is the power of authentic and sacrificial worship. Paul and Silas, they were hurting. They were in bad shape. Their backs would be very bruised and probably the skin broken and bleeding. Uh, That would be most unpleasant. If they had been different men, they probably would have been cursing. But instead, they were praying and singing hymns. Remember, remember Job. Um, if you're not familiar with all the Bible, there's a character in the Old Testament named Job. He was a very rich man, and many afflictions fell upon Job, sort of unexplained. And uh, and Job's wife, sadly, but <laughs> could have been me, she or she urged him to curse God and die. Like, what's God done for you lately? Look at what's going on with us here. Curse him. Let's be done with God. And here's Job's response in slide three. At uh, This Job got up and took his robe and shaved his head, which is a sign of grieving. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. You could say that worship in that prison at midnight, caused an earthquake. It disturbed things. Does our worship disturb things? You know, we should always bring our best to worship times. We sing together. We, we come together at church. And sometimes there are people amongst us who are here for some reason, but they might not yet be worshipers of God. They might not yet be Christians. They're here observing. If, there's, if you're here this morning, welcome. Please observe. How did we do? When it comes time to speak what we think about God, we should speak strongly, and we should sing well, and we should worship with power and with authenticity because it does shake things up in the spiritual world. And uh, let us remember that when it's time to worship. Second lesson, how important it is to walk the talk. Sometime after this event, Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, these people who knew who were there for the whole story. He wrote a letter to them <clears throat> and he said many, many things, great things. The letter of Philippians is an awesome Uh, a piece of literature in the New Testament. But Paul said at one point in chapter 2 to the Philippians, do everything without complaining or arguing. Isn't that, that's hard, I know. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As the Philippians read that, they might have remembered Paul and Silas, who during a very dark and painful time walked what they had just taught. Complaining and grumbling? No. They worshipped, prayed, and sang hymns. You know, uh, you and I, when we walk our talk, it gives an added measure of authority to our talk if the people that you're talking to know that you're walking what you talk. I think I got that out right. I say this to pastors. I say this to myself. I say this to parents. I say this to parents of teenagers. You do a lot of talking to your teenagers, and I did too, but you better be walking it if you want your words to have any weight to them and any authenticity and authority, people need to see that you practice what you preach. I say this to bosses and employers of people. Walk the talk. And Paul and Silas certainly did at this moment. And it, would never be, it, was, it was never forgotten. It was written down. We're talking about it 2,000 years later. The third lesson out of this story is the jailer's remarkable change of heart. He was probably a hard man. If you're a jail, you ever watch movies? You know, like the uh, Shawshank Redemption, or you know, the the jail guards—they're always tough guys, right? Like really mean guys, because they work with mean people, and you have to be a mean person. And uh, probably the jailer was a tough nut, and uh, hardened to ar- h- ugly things, and uh, and yet, what's he doing on his knees, trembling before? <laughs> before Paul and Silas asking what must I do to be saved what what happened what happened in, in two minutes uh, so, something happened for sure and he knew about their message that's why he asked about their message about the message of salvation he, he had heard about it but he had hardened his heart thrown them in jail put them in stocks told them to behave themselves and, uh, and he'd gone off home to sleep and now he's trembling at their feet what Uh, And and, um, my only thought here is this. We all have, you know, we all have people in our lives who we care about, who we try to share the gospel with, and who seem deaf, who seem hardened, who seem completely inattentive. Yeah, whatever, is their response. I'll say this carefully. Go ahead and pray that God would shake them up. We don't pray that God would in any way hurt hurt them or harm them. Not at all. But he knows how to shake a person up to their core. You can pray that. I got shaken up once. It's another story for another time. It changed my life utterly. And uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to pray for people that, they're, that whatever God would do what he needs to do to open blind eyes, open deaf ears, and get people's attention because this is so utterly important. Fourth lesson. As we read about Paul and Silas being persecuted for following Christ, for proclaiming Christ, for being Christians, let us not forget our brothers and sisters around the world at this very moment who are being persecuted for their faith in ways that we're not at all, that we know nothing about. Just never forget them, please. Uh, maybe you could go online and look up uh, Voice of the Martyrs or uh, some, some websites that, that seek to inform the church about our persecuted brethren. Read it occasionally or whatever how God leads you and, and just maybe all we can do is pray. Please do. But let's not forget the persecuted uh, in our world. There's a lot of them. I have a question for you. How can we, how can you and I, be the kind of Christians who could actually sing sincere hymns of praise and pray to God in a jail at midlight, at midnight, after having been savagely beaten with rods, by men who know how to inflict pain, <clears throat> we all go through dark times in our lives. Here's the essence of the question: What's, What are the secrets to singing in the darkness? Secret number one: We must be convinced of the sovereignty of God. Uh, that's, a, that's a kind of a theological term that means, and, and sovereign means a ruler and that God rules over all things. He rules over all circumstances. And so the sovereignty of God uh, for, for it to be a, a, a comfort to us contains three, three truths. The first truth is that God knows all, everything, everywhere. That's his omniscience. And that God rules over all. Nothing's out of control for God. And the third thing is, you ready? He's good. Because sometimes we look at the circumstances in our life and we say, "Well, if God knows about this, ah, you know, is He good?" And uh, and Scripture teaches from page one to page whatever at the end, He is good. He is sovereign, and He rules over all. And that allows us then to encounter our circumstances, knowing that God is ruling over all and is involved. And that's a very important foundational truth to helping us sing in the darkness. The second secret (coughs) uh, is contained in in two words, micro and macro. (coughs) Micro is the small, up-close, intense look at something very small, Macro is the thirty thousand foot view where you see the whole big picture, and life consists of both things: micro and macro. Bifocal lenses—they still have those. They got those graduated things now, but uh <coughs> bifocal lenses. There's a there's a lens within the lens in your glasses, and you can see up close, and you can also see far at the same time. Right? Like you can you can. See both. They, they allow you to see both. And so we need spiritual bifocal lenses where we can see the micro of what's going on in our life right now. But we can also, with another set of lenses, see the, see the macro, see the big picture. And uh, that's so important. What's going on in life might not seem good. I might be in jail with a bleeding back in the darkness. That's micro, and it's real. We're not talking about being in denial. We're talking about being fully apprehending what's going on now, but we also see something else. Like Paul said, now we see dimly, but then we shall see face-to-face. The dimly is the micro, then face-to-face is the macro, where we will see all and have answers to our questions. And we will experience how good God really is when finally all the pieces are put into place. Famous verse, slide four. Famous, famous verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So there's my micro life, but the macro is ultimately God will work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Secret number three. So the sovereignty of God I must Embrace and believe deeply in my heart, even if things are painful at the moment. Then there's the looking at my micro situation, but also seeing another perspective that God and his word helps me to see. The third secret is (coughs) being able to praise and thank and worship God, even in dark places, is a uniquely and distinctively Christian thing. Let me explain. Listen to these statements from all across the New Testament. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Micro, my light and momentary troubles. Macro, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Romans 8.18 by Paul. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Present sufferings, the glory that will someday be revealed to us. Christianity taught this all the time with good reason. So is this just a Paul thing? You know, is this just sort of one of Paul's hobby horse? Oh, it's going to get better later, you know, sort of thing. Uh, no. James wrote in chapter one of his letter, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Maybe one of the hardest verses in the Bible. I know. But he's calling us to joy, and there's, there's a reason behind it. And then Peter said, first Peter 4, 12, 13, about persecution, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice, there it is, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's the big macro view that's coming. So maybe it's just a Paul, James, Peter thing, right? No. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, said Jesus himself. And he said other things like this as well. Do you think Paul and Silas were remembering those words in jail? I think they had to be. Because their hymn singing and their praying in the midst of their pain had a source, and the source was the very instructions and promise of Christ about these situations in our life. Secret number four how do we sing at midnight? <clears throat> Slide five. In Philippians 3.10, Paul writes again to the Philippians from a later time, I want to know Christ. I'm just breaking into a a long, beautiful piece that he wrote here, but he says, I want to know Christ. Okay? And the power of his resurrection. Yeah, that'd be good. Keep reading. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Another translation I read says, I just want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship means sharing or participating in it together. Suppose you were a veteran from a war. Maybe you're a Canadian veteran from the War in Afghanistan and you saw some horrible things there. Horrible. And maybe you had an encounter with an IED and you lost a leg or something like that. You know, you 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 now have for the rest of your life an uh, artificial limb, and it's a pain to you every day. So you're at a social gathering uh, with you know, friends, a party of some sort. <coughs> and uh and you're, so you're, you're, you're walking around and you're saying hi to people and you're greeting people and shaking hands and hello, how are you, and introducing yourself. And you come across someone that you recognize and you look again and it's someone from your company back in Afghanistan. And you, you know his wounds as well. You know what he went through. And the hello that you give to the other people will be different than the hello that you give to your comrade in arms you might not say anything you might just cast that knowing look almost too deep for words when you look at him because of the fellowship of your sufferings you know what he went through he knows what you went through and there's something there that is not felt between anybody else on earth we have that with christ that's how you sing in the darkness You're not alone. He who suffered more than all of us put together for our sins, out of love, is there with you. At least that would help me sing in the darkness. I hope it helps you too. Come back next week. You don't want to miss what's going to happen next. Father, this story is so full of important truth about God, about the meaning of walking by faith, about sacrifice, about finding meaning in suffering, that distinctively Christian thing. I pray